Everything you need is already inside of you. The world would not be what it is without you. When we begin to create change within us, we begin to create change in the world around us. Your journey to becoming your best self as the whole person starts right now. Welcome to the Rise Up For You podcast. I'm Georgia Close, your host. Thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is here to serve you and stand alongside you in your journey to becoming your best self. Through speaking with industry experts, authors, and amazing individuals throughout the world who have a message to share, we are bringing you empowerment, inspiration, and strategies that you can instantly implement. Our focus is on the whole person, and research shows that the happiest people in the world the most fulfilled countries in the world are the ones that make time to nurture uh, and build their relationships, their money, their self-worth, career, love life, and health. When we feel great within us as the whole person, then and only then can we create positive change around us. Today, it is my pleasure to have Aaron on the call with us, and we are going to be talking about one of the more difficult things in life, <laughs> health, <laughs> wellness, uh, diets, how to not be on a diet. Uh, she has quite the incredible story. Um, and we're honored to have you, Erin. So thank you for being with us. I always like to start off the show by letting our audience get to know our guests a little bit better. So can you just tell us a bit about your wonderful self and what you do and how long you've been doing this? I've been waiting for this conversation all day. Uh, well, my name is Erin and I'm Aaliyah, just kidding. No, um, I, I was one of these women who I guess I used to be a teenager who was always on a diet or thinking I should go on a diet or quickly picking out so I could eat what I wanted before I went on a diet. And I was just living like my entire life from the time I was about 14 until like my late thirties, I was in some perpetual state of dieting. Like I said before, you know, before needing or wanting to or whatever. And I took up so much of my brain with this constant thinking and obsessing and the weight fluctuations and the sizes that I was obsessed with it and, you know, just, it was really a problem for me when I look back on it. And, you know, I think one of the things that is, you know, in hindsight is how normal it is to be obsessed with our weight and how normal it is to always be dieting. And especially, you know, during, you know, the years when you're having babies and you're getting married and, it doesn't seem that weird to be dieting because there's a reason, but why are we always trying to lose weight? You know, it just, <laughs> but, the, but, but, and again, like everybody's doing it. So I had a couple of kids and after my first kid, we moved from Manhattan to the suburbs of Connecticut. And after about six months, I was going a little crazy. <laughs> I saw a, um, imagine that, I saw a sign at the gym saying that there was a certification for spinning going on that weekend. And, you know, learn, earn, learn money, earn money doing what you love or something. And I was like, well, it would get me out of the, everything in my life was about my kid stage. So I got certified in spinning, was terrified and uh, eventually stopped being terrified. And it got me teaching group fitness. 
which partially was to get out of the house, but also because I kind of had this, well, maybe I'll just exercise all the time. Then I can eat what I want. Then I can finally crack the code of this whole like weight thing. Right. Hmm. And which by the way, doesn't exist, but that's a whole other conversation. And then my heart, (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) there's no magic. Um, And then I eventually became a yoga teacher as well. And I added Pilates and a bunch of other little smaller uh, certifications as well. So I was an exercise teacher. And I remember I was asking my husband, like, why don't I look skinnier? Or at the end of a meal, I'm like, did I eat a lot? Because I am so disconnected from my own body and my own sense of hunger. Because it was all about counting points or calories or macros or whatever I was doing that week. And the, the poor guy, like, why is, I mean, why am I asking him if my butt looks big? Like, I mean, come on. <laughs> and uh, and there is no right answer, you know, but it wasn't until I got really serious about my nutrition that I was able to realize what the problem was. I was just living off of diet Coke and sugar mm. for decades. And when we have a lot of NutraSweet or Splenda or Stevia or whatever they're calling it these days. It makes us want sugar even more. So we think we're doing the right thing because it's not as bad as other sugar, but it actually is worse. Mm, so I was just drinking wow. it all day, every day forever. Like I'd get these giant, massive, big gulps in college and, and every, everyone always just did it. And the thing about me and during these years is I was never what you would consider overweight. There was never a doctor that said anything. I was always in normal sizes, but I was obsessed with my weight and like the mental chatter in my head. I could not turn it off. So when I eventually was able to realize I had to cut out all this sugar, I needed to get a sense of what I actually need to do, how to balance my blood sugar, how to not be crazy was when it all kind of made sense finally. And that's when I could actually effortlessly maintain a weight without having any of those tricks or being obsessed with my weight and just live. So now I just live and it's, it's amazing. Can you say that last part again? The, what was the trick for you when you learned to turn? I'm sorry. What did you say? There was something at the last part of that that you you mentioned. You said once you finally learned how to do this, you started really living. Once I finally learned how to eat right and learned how to not how to not eat emotionally or have emotions with eating, that's part of it. And also, once I realized like there's no point in having sugar in your diet. There's no point in having some very inflammatory destructive hormone disruptor kind of foods, the combination of the emotional eating mm-hmm. and getting rid of processed foods, then I was able to maintain the, the magic number I'd always been striving for, for, you know, decades without it being a constant battle. I was talking to a client the other day and she was frustrated. And I said, look, we could have you lose 15 pounds. That's not a big deal. It's you getting rid of the mental obsession. That is the real victory. So for me, being able to just know that I'm going to always fit in my clothes, like that's amazing to me because I had so many times where I didn't want to go on vacation because what if nothing fit? And then a couple months ago, uh, my husband and I just went on a last minute trip to the Bahamas 
And I realized after a couple of days, I'm like, I just didn't even have any angst about it. Wow. (laughs) I just packed my bikinis and then I was, you know, 40 plus years old or at 30 plus, I would have been having a freak out if we had a last minute bikini situation. Wow. (laughs) So that's my point. It's like, because I've stopped doing all the little craziness I'm able to be calmer and look, I had time to write a book. So (laughs) it is interesting when we step away and see how much effort and just time we can put into our appearance when it's not really our appearance, it's usually like misdirected energy or we're stressed out about something else. And we think the problem is food when it's really not food. It's, our relationship with our husband or our boyfriend or our mom. Hmm. And maybe we're eating you know, too many chips, but it's not really about the chips. It's about what's behind the chips. Don't get me wrong. You shouldn't be like gorging on chips, but, <laughs> when, but, but once we can separate the two and try to figure out like, so what is it hmm. that's going on with your boyfriend or your mom? And then we're able to live like in a higher level of just interaction where we're not trying to hide from our feelings. And so we had an argument with our mom. Okay, it's the end of the world. No. So what are you going to do about it? If you have to sit there with your feelings for 20 minutes and come up with some sort of a plan or how you want to deal with it, you will not implode without eating. <laughs> but oftentimes yeah. it feels like we might, right? Yes. The only thing that will yes. solve it is chubby hubby ice cream. And when you're in that place, like I was forever, it feels so real. It feels like honest to God, like you have to follow through with it, but you really don't. And the first time you're able to just white knuckle it, it gives you so much confidence. Yeah. I can, as a young teenager, I remember those same, that same situation you just described over and over again. It felt like I'm going to implode if I don't have this thing I'm craving. And there were a few times in those young teen years where I remember just going, I don't have to have this. I will survive. And like you said, white knuckling it, (laughs) getting through it and feeling like a million bucks the next day. Of course, that didn't last. It was a constant battle, you know. <laughs> yeah, of course. But, yeah. What would, I mean, was there a real, I mean, you, you had a career in a totally different, you know, industry than this years ago. So was there a one or two moments that just made you go, okay, it's time to make the switch here. I'm diving in to health, wellness. I'm going to figure this thing out. What, was there a moment like that for you? It was when I realized I had little stashes of candy everywhere. It was when I realized if somebody walked in on me eating candy, I would be embarrassed. Uh, It was when I had to read something about like food addiction in my health coaching curriculum. And I never heard of it, right? Because in America, we are very much told it doesn't exist. While in so many other Western countries, they embrace it. I mean, heck, they're Medicare. <laughs> I mean, honest to God, like in Canada, you can go to an inpatient rehab facility for food addiction and it's paid for by the wow. government. No kidding. Yeah, because when I did my food addiction certification program, it was very international. So I have friends all over the world who were doing this same work, but the way it's viewed is so different, you know, country by country. When I was able to look at like my behavior, I mean, take 
the substance and just make it like irrelevant, but my behavior about it, like the little secrets or like replacing things or telling the kids that like I donated their candy to firemen when I really did. And after Halloween, like that kind of stuff, like, <laughs> like really shady things like that. I mean, that's when I was like, okay, I got a problem. Wow. Okay. But, but the thing is, is that everyone thought it was cute. Like my, it's so cute that Aaron loves candy and she's so skinny. Like, I'm not saying that it wasn't, I'm not cute or whatever, but it was just looking back, you can be completely troubled and look completely normal, or you could be overweight and be completely happy about it. It's not like an either or, but everybody thought it was just this funny thing that I would always like eat all the jelly beans or something at Easter when (sighs) it really wasn't. But it became something where I had to just like cut it out of my life because life is just better now without that stuff. I think clearer, my skin's better. I don't get cavities all the time. And I'm able just to figure out like what I'm really feeling. When I, I kind of felt like the sugar was in the way. Wow. So do you completely cut sugar out of your diet? Like in every way, like refined sugar. I mean, so I mean, I wouldn't have, you know, a candy bar or something, but I eat fruit. I mean, the thing is, is like, I'm not like so crazy fanatical. Like it was my son's birthday last week. Like I had a bite of a piece of cake. I felt like a ton of bricks hit me because it was so strong. Mm -hmm. But and then I was very aware the next couple of days that I was going to have a lot of sugar cravings and then the wheat was going to make me a little bit bloated, but you know, it's my kid's birthday. Right. Right. So I'm not that fanatical about it, but I also know that it's a very slippery slope. <laughs> once you start playing, like I'm just going to have a bite here and a bite there, or we tell ourselves we want to be normal and, Mm-hmm. You no know, moderation like moderation is like a unicorn as far as I'm concerned like it does not exist but we're told it does and and I'm like who is moderation like who is this person that was able to master moderation because back in the day when I worked for a very famous <laughs> company that talks about points we always talked about moderation and all I remember is eating their tons of their processed food and always being starving so oh, wow. I don't know if moderation is really livable for most people because they typically will do things like starve themselves all day and then have a bunch of margaritas at girls night. So is that really a sound way to live? Wow. Yeah. 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 You're saying all the things that I know all of us have experienced, but haven't really been able to put a name to it. You know, I, I want to ask you about food addictions because you're you're actually one of the world's first and few um, <laughs> food addiction counselors. Did I say that right? Yeah. Food ad- okay. So what is that? What is, what is food addiction and how does it play into all of our constant dieting? I know you've alluded to a little bit of that through our, you know, what we're thinking about emotionally. Yeah. But we're eating these things, but tell us all about that. Well, the thing about food addiction is, a lot of us are addicted to food and we don't even know it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's things like if we don't have our Starbucks or we <laughs> eat a bunch of uh, or volume or we, 
you know, I love bread, like those sort of extreme things where we might think on a certain level that we just really like it. But if it was taken away, we would have an extreme emotional reaction and our physical body would kind of go through a withdrawal. So you don't have to be straight up like an addict, like all the negative connotations to be addicted to something. So a lot of the concept behind food addiction is not that you are a good person or a bad person because it doesn't even matter, but that so much of our food is flat out addictive. Like high fructose corn syrup is a great example because that stuff is genetically modified to be as addictive as possible and as quickly as possible. Oh, so that's terrifying. So people in a lab figured out how to manipulate corn to make it as sweet as we can to hit all of our pleasure sensors and our dopamine and all these other things in our brain as quickly as possible. So we drink soda and it just hits us like a ton of bricks. Right. And then it goes away. So instant gratification comes in instantly, leaves instantly. Then we want more. So what are we going to do? We're going to drink more soda. So that sets up a biochemical reaction to which our body is just like so excited about it. We're drinking more and more soda. So oftentimes it's kids, they get addicted to soda. You know, you'll see them like throwing tamper tantrums at like movie theaters and stuff or right. <laughs> parks. Or oh soda. yeah. Yeah. And then it's in, it's in so much of our food. Like it's in weird things like hot dog buns and, you know, bread and mustard and these obvious things like ice cream but so it's possible to be addicted to sugar and not even know it and think yeah I have a little sugar here and there but over the course of a day or of a week or a day where we have a lot of it and then our behavior and our mood can definitely be impacted by how much we're having and we just think oh I need my Starbucks or oh my head hurts or I just like ice cream at night when really we're kind of like sugar loading for the for the next eight hours and in the morning we get another hit of sugar with the donuts or the cereal so it's kind of like we're right. eating that beast then there's also the emotional component because if you take it away people get really angry <laughs> <laughs> hence the term hangry they do they get very angry and I'm not saying that you need to just go and experiment with people in your life because that's not what I'm um, recommending. But what I'm just saying is that oftentimes we will think that, oh, it's just food, like whatever. But if, you know, if they don't get the giant frappuccino or they don't get that huge amount of refined carbohydrates in the morning, their head's going to hurt. Their mood will change. There will be a problem especially if they go to like lunch that's because their body's like where is it where is it where is it in the same way if it was a what we would consider to be a drug the body would be like where is it so those are some mm. pretty easy ways to see it like for example like i would have a bunch of sugar at night and then in the morning just like <laughs> put like 18 packets of NutraSweet in my coffee right because with skim milk which just now makes me want to gag but that was like, you know, kind of helping keep me from completely going off the rails in the morning because I had to keep feeding it. And then I'd usually have some sort of like sugary something after I worked out in the morning. So it just kind of kept it going. Wow. But 
with food addiction, a lot of us don't even realize it because there's just so much sugar in our food and so much stuff everywhere that we can easily be addicted to it and not even know it. I mean, yeah, even you just talking about it makes me want candy. <laughs> that's, that's a sign, right? <laughs> well, what's crazy is like, okay, so the Easter candy comes out the day after um, Valentine's Day. I mean, the day after all the jelly beans are everywhere. I mean, there's really special Halloween. It's like the Halloween candy comes out before Labor Day. And then the Christmas candy comes out the day after Halloween. So there's like special candy. And then I don't think they've managed to make Mother's Day any sort of candy. There's special candy in the stores for like half the year. Right. And uh, I did this. I wrote something for someone about pumpkin spice lattes. And this year they brought out pumpkin spice lattes before Labor Day, which I thought I was just I'm like, why would you want to drink it? It was so hot outside. But it's because when people think it's seasonal, they get really excited and they buy more. Oh, yes. <laughs> I am like, the number one offender. I am actually not too, too much of a sugar fan but or a Starbucks fan. But when I... When August comes around, I begin anticipating the one thing that I wait for. And it's the one thing I let myself indulge on a couple times a year. And it's the eggnog latte because mm-hmm. I love eggnog. I know there's a big debate out there on, you know, how many people like it versus don't. I might be in the minority, but I love it. And when that thing comes out, I just get so excited and pumped up for the se- for the season and to get one, you know, or to get yeah. two or get one a week and and those things are packed with, I mean, pretty much your daily intake of calories. Yeah. But you know, the thing is like a classic sales technique is scarcity and urgency. So there's not mm. a lot of them and it's going away quickly. So that's exactly like pumpkin spice lattes or eggnog lattes or mint mocha lattes. Let's face it. There's a lot mm. of them. They're going to be mm. out for months, but when they create excitement around it, starting in August, <laughs> yeah and they're just excited so the same with the candy and like so there's all this seasonal food and the holidays everybody goes sideways and there's always a reason to keep having sugar and if you don't have any sort of sense about it it's very easy to fall in that trap yeah and so much of socializing is around food and drinks if you don't believe me, just ask someone to get together and not have it be around anything. <laughs> so right. Want to get together and uh, look at each other? Like no, coffee, <laughs> drink, lunch, dinner, breakfast. You always have to, have to be tethered or you know, really like anchored by something food or drinks wise, which is just a cultural thing, right? But it doesn't have to be you know eighteen rounds of margaritas. It can be right. you know tea or something, but. <laughs> it's just sort of how our culture is, but we can definitely lay off the sugar. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. There's so much unnecessary sugar. Right. What, I mean, what is, what would you say is the key to breaking food addictions? I think first of all, it's just figuring out like what you're eating, like write down everything you're eating couple of days and just look it all up. There's a lot of apps you can do and just figure out how much, your, how many carbs you're actually eating, how much sugar you're eating. Because a lot of people have no idea. They 
they think they're doing the right thing that, you know, a classic example would be protein shakes, any sort of bars. They, people think it's the right decision. I think they're being healthy when, Mm. you know, a Lara bar, you know, still has a lot of sugar. Yeah. It's better than a Snickers sometimes, but it still jacks up your blood sugar. It still isn't, it still shouldn't replace lunch. You know, there's a lot to it, but, we don't even realize it just because it's sold at whole foods doesn't mean it's healthy. Like there's a lot of like sort of misconceptions out there. Sure. Um, and I think, you know, in, in the South, there's a lot of soda and a lot of sweet tea, but that's, you know, regional, but overall just figuring out like how much you're eating and looking at, Oh my gosh, I had, you know, so much sugar. Cause the actual recommendations are pretty, pretty low. And the average mm-hmm. American has like multiples of that a day. Yeah. Yep. We are, we are one of those countries. You're right. I've noticed that traveling myself, it's just very different here compared to a lot of the other countries around the world, portion size, type of food, you know, how often they eat, things like that. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm from Costa Rica. I go surfing there a couple times a year and they're, Ooh ice cream sandwiches are like a third the size of ours or like the <laughs> yeah, my husband and I always laugh because I'm like, these are like the diet ones because they're so tiny and those are the only ones they sell or like the ones we have like the size of your palm but yeah. you know serving size of one <laughs> so <it's, laughs> but I my think goodness. it's just you know the servings are bigger and we eat more often and there's a the snacking and like so and the thing about the snacking, which I think is really problematic, is people are always open to eat when we really don't need to eat all day. It's just a bad habit we've collectively gotten into. You know, actually, I've, I've heard, I mean, for myself, I think for a lot of women, they've gone through all the stages that you went through and realized, I'm so sick of being on a diet. I'm, yeah. I just want to live my life. And I feel the same way, but I've heard, a, I've heard two different things. And one uh, is, you know, you need to eat several small meals throughout the day. So basically grazing all day, you know, that keeps your, your metabolism up. And then I've heard on the other side, it's okay to let your body go hungry for, you know, while you're sleeping and then all the way till noon, a good 16 hours, it's okay for your body to do that. What is, what is your take on that? Well, I've tried everything so I can tell you what worked for me and why I know the science behind it. So the grazing concept is very like nineties. It's very early two thousands where they believed we can't go hungry. You know, mini meals is the way to go. What actually ended up happening was people were eating constantly and eating all day. <laughs> so their body right. was always digesting. It's hard to stop yourself. Yeah. We were always digesting food. We were always snacking. We always had, you know, partially digested food in our teeth. We were always, the light was always on for the diner, right? We were always available to eat. While Intermittent fasting, which has been around in some stage, you know, since like the Bible, people are Mm. fasting, but intermittent fasting is kind of having a moment lately. But the thing about intermittent fasting (laughs) that people don't understand is it only works if you lay off the quick acting carbs. Because if you try to Mm. intermittent fast and eat pizza and pasta, you will have a horrible time. 
Mm. If you go low carb, you'll have a much better time of going the 12, 14, 16 hours because your body isn't relying on those quick bursts of sugar like it used to. But for me, I've done the 14, I mean, I think I went 20 hours once, but you can do it. It's just something that you have to work up to and you really have to lay off a lot of the quicker carbohydrates like the week leading up to it, if you want to really have a chance of doing it right. But the thing about intermittent fasting, which is really interesting, is I did a, a challenge group over the summer. I was totally free. I'm like, whoever like follows me or reads me, I'm just going to do it. Is how many people were really upset they didn't lose any weight. And I said, okay, so what, what you know, you never sent me your food logs. So I have no idea what was going on. So what, like, what was, tell me. They were like, well, I, all I was doing was eating during those eight hours. I said, what were you eating? They're like, whatever I wanted. Ah. <laughs> like, okay. Truth shall set you three. Free. Yeah, I was like, okay, <laughs> this is the thing. Is you can't just gorge for eight hours a day and expect anything to happen. So wow. you know, portions yeah. always matter. Calories always matter. But not in the neurotic way that we used to think it mattered. It isn't like. 10 minutes on the treadmill equals a fig Newton or whatever you used to tell ourselves. It's like, you know, quality food and eating, you know, stuff that doesn't have labels ideally and sticking to basic nutrition components never goes away. But the thing with intermittent fasting is it's not that you're eating less, you're just eating it of a smaller window. And some people do really well on this, you know, having like a heavy coffee with a lot of cream in the morning and then having two big meals. Some people, it's their idea of personal hell, but you can try it for a couple of days, try it the right way. Like I said, mm-hmm. don't just try to do it with Pop-Tarts, but if you do it the right way, then you can see, does it work? Because worst case scenario, you decide to eat three meals. It's not going to hurt anything. So with a lot of these different ways of eating, people get very freaked out. But I've, I mean, I tried keto for a while. I've tried everything just so I can speak from a place of personal experience. And I can tell you like nutritionally what's going on. Right. And a lot of these things, if you do it the right way, they're not that different. (laughs) They really aren't. Like paleo versus keto. I mean, it's just switching your macros a little bit. Interesting. But the thing is, is that, you know, people get very excited with keto and like the little strips and everything, but it's, you know, keto is having a moment and paleo is kind of on its way out. Well, is it really that drastically different to not eat processed food? (laughs) That's not, that's not groundbreaking. And then someone told me the other day, you know, paleo is now accepting potatoes. I'm like, okay, first of all, who speaks for paleo? And why on earth would paleo be accepting potatoes if it jacks your blood sugar and starts an insulin response? That doesn't make any sense. And then you get people that do things like start the dirty keto movement. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. No, do tell. Okay, dirty keto people do things like make nachos out of pork rinds. Mm, Okay. So pork rinds and cheese. Oh, that sounds maybe a step too far. But it's but your macros are going to be fine because hmm. you're going to be having eighty percent fat. But that's not really what keto is about. Keto is about like a lot of you know avocados and bacon and green leafy vegetables. It's not about pork rinds and Velveeta. 
so, you know, and, but the problem is, is so, Oh no. If you've ever been on a diet, like I have been a million, you kind of get the rule book and you're like, how can I work around this? So if you're looking at keto as a diet, your brain goes to things like dirty keto. If you're looking at keto as a lifestyle, you're never going to think about dirty keto because you're going to be trying to make it part of your whole existence. And you're not going to try to manipulate it. You're not going to try to jack the system, which is what so often happens. So the, not to pick on the dirty keto people, that's an example, but you know, in all the phases of dieting that I've seen since I was 14 years old, there's always been the workarounds. Um, I remember back in the day that they used to shove tons and tons of fiber and cakes and say it was healthy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, why are you adding x to cakes? Like, give me a break. <laughs> but, but I'm saying, but, but the point is, we're never getting to the before the cake. Like, why are we binging on cake? <laughs> That's the problem is the before. Um, <laughs> if we're, I mean, yeah, cake, not good in large doses. Let's not eat a lot of that. But why are we eating lots of cake? Like what's going on in our lives is leading us to think that a lot of cake is a good idea. That's where I think we should be focusing. And that's because, why the emotions kind of play into it. Yeah, totally. And then we have a whole gener actually many generations. I have a 13-year-old daughter who believe that, you know, skinny equals happy or, you know, it's all about, you know, having flat abs and a nice booty or whatever the heck they believe, because that's what everyone tells them when it's really not about that. And, you know, when I have 12 year olds asking me, how can I get a six pack? Wow. Yeah. Um, and I'm always saying, well, what, why do you need one? Wow. <laughs> are you going to be in a music video? Like, <laughs> what are you going to do? Wow. And mm-hmm. trying to get to the why like, what, what, what are you going to do with it? Like, why do you need one? You know, and trying to get some understanding of this is how you're going to feel the best. If you get a lot of sleep, you drink a lot of water, you don't look at food to solve problems. You move most days. It all kind of fits together versus you starve yourself before prom. Right. Oh my. Okay. Well tell me about, um, I know one of your books, I think it's your most recent is why can't I stick to my diet? And I know you've quickly kind of become famous for this book. Um, <laughs> tell us about it. Cause and you also do more than nutrition. I know you do a lot with exercise, like the whole, you do the whole person. So I'm, I'm kind of guessing that's sort of all packed into this book. Yeah, I basically wrote the book that I wanted to have available for me five years ago. Ah. <laughs> so it's kind of a back to the future if only I could have you know, gotten a DeLorean kind of thing. So it's, it's not that long. It's not it's going to take you hours and hours to read, but it's just enough to give you the basics to kind of get you started, to kind of get you off of the sugar and along your way because – people don't even know what to do. Like you were saying, like, what do they, how do they even know they have a problem? Like, what do you even do with it? Mm-hmm. Because it's so normalized. It's so normal to see people with these massive drinks. And, you know, when you go out, everyone's just eating a certain way. So I talk in my book a lot about like my story and then the education I got, because basically like why you should listen to me. <laughs> 
<laughs> a lot of people, a lot of people say a lot of wellness things and they have no idea what they're talking about. Sure. And I think it's important to listen to people that actually know what they're, know a thing or two about science and nutrition. Absolutely. And there is a lot of science behind cutting out processed food, behind eating stuff that's healthy on a regular basis, and also behind not having huge weight swings. Because if you find a weight you can easily maintain, it takes so much less effort. <laughs> and right. I work out so much less now than I used to when I weighed more. It's the craziest thing. I have so much more time too. Oh, that's great. By the so, way, I did. I, I noticed on your website you had a couple example workouts, and I did one of yours this afternoon. You did? How cute! <laughs> to try it out, it was great. Really kicked um, my butt. Yeah, no, I am. I because I have a fitness background, and because like I've done it all. I worked in gyms for twelve years. Like, trust me, I've I've been there, done that. So for me, it's it's very like, holistic, like. So I don't, I don't think it's because you're skinny, you're happy. I think it needs to be part of your whole life. Mm-hmm. And if you're healthy and you're happy and you're getting a lot of sleep and you're in a good relationship and you're not fighting with your siblings and you have a, a job you like, then we can talk about your whole life. But if it's all you have is skinny, then that's not much of a life, right? right. So, but also if you can really get clear with why you gain those 10 pounds over the holidays. And don't just tell me because you like Christmas because a lot of people like Christmas and they don't gain 10 pounds. So when we go on these diets before spring break or before the reunion or before the wedding, and all we do is focus on a detox or a cleanse or whatever we're doing. And we skip the opportunity to really get real with ourselves about maybe our job isn't working out because the commute's too long, or perhaps we really need to address an issue with our husband, or I don't even know what it is systemically. The food is almost always a symptom. The problem is before the food. And it's almost always easier to obsess about the points or the macros or the calories than to talk about maybe you and your husband need to split up the household responsibilities a little bit more. So, when we decide we're going to do a 21 day cleanse, we're kind of avoiding that uncomfortable situation. But the thing is after the reunion or the wedding or the spring break, that situation's still going to be there. So if we don't do any changes to that, that's a lot of why people regain the weight. Yes. Of course, chronic dieting does mess up your metabolism and all those sort of issues. But if the problem is never really fixed, why would it ever really go away? Wow. Yeah. Simple, simple. We should all know that. Um, But we need somebody to tell us that, (laughs) to remind us of that. You know? Well, let's jump into the power section here. Um, What's one book that you've read that's had a big impact on you that you can share with our audience? I was thinking about this earlier and I would have to say it's what to eat by Marion Nestle. She is on staff at NYU. I read it a long time ago and I remember being shocked when she wrote that a Yoplait yogurt had more sugar than ice cream. <laughs> wow. You're kidding. Yeah. because I always thought yogurt was healthy, right? Yes. There's all these foods that have like the halo effect, like granola, yogurt, you know, dried fruit when actually like they're kind of questionable. 
but I remember being stunned that yogurt wasn't just, you know, automatically like in the good list. Wow. Yeah. Okay. One of my idols in nutrition. <laughs> wow. Interesting. Yeah. It sounds like there's a lot of things we need to hack here. <laughs> <laughs> totally. What's one quote that you live by or saying? Quote I, is- always, I, I, I either say one of two things to my kids. I either say, check yourself before you wreck yourself from, um, you know, ice cube (laughs) (laughs) or I say do or do not, there is no try. So the first one is, you know, you could take it to dieting, you can take it to spending, you can take it to talking too much, but you know, check yourself before you wreck yourself, meaning give a moment, pause before you eat, before you say it, before you whatever. Hmm. And then do or do not, there is no try, like Yoda told uh, Luke Skywalker, (laughs) is there's a lot of people that say they're going to do things or they have have every reason in the world, every excuse. At the end of the day, you either do it or you don't. So what if you actually got it all out? And what if you actually had the conversation with your husband that you've been avoiding for all these years? Hmm. And so you told him, Hey, you know, maybe you don't want to, I don't want to see your mother every week or whatever it is. And you finally were able to lose the 10 pounds or whatever is getting in your headspace. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And you use it at once. You guys use it once versus this constant up and down thing. How much more time you'd have, how much better you would feel. I mean, but we kind of are always avoiding it. So it's in the avoiding that a lot of us just get in this mental prison. But when we're saying we're going to try to lose weight, we're always trying to do it. You know, I know people that are always trying to do something when at the end of the day, it's kind of about results. So Hmm. if we can decide, it doesn't matter how long it takes. It doesn't matter if anyone else notices, I'm going to move in a certain direction because when I decided I couldn't deal with like the craziness in my head anymore, I didn't even care if I lost weight. I ended up losing a bunch of weight, but mm. I just wanted it to stop. I wanted the mental stuff to stop. Wow. And I remember thinking, what's wrong with you? Don't you want to lose weight? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you want to weigh the magic number? And I just remember thinking like, I don't care anymore because the magic number is just, who cares? But then once I started, you know, getting, getting off of sugar and life was so much clearer and better and I, the brain fog went away and my skin cleared up and then, yeah, sure. My pants got looser and a bunch of other things happened, but at the end of it, yeah, like the number is great and all, but to have, everything else it's just a bonus to have all the other like headspace clear and to not be worried about the things I used to worry about all the time and have that confidence to just pick out anything in my closet and know it's going to look fine I used to not have that I used to have three, three sizes of the same pair of pants and that was just how I lived Well, if you were to leave the world with one message, what is your golden nugget? No pressure. Um, I would definitely (laughs) say... You've said a lot. You've given us a lot of golden nuggets so far. I would definitely say, you know, just to the women out there and some of the men, is at the end of the day, it's just food. 
It's not love. It's not relationships. It's nothing that really matters. And when we celebrate with food, when we hide with food, we're missing an opportunity to be with people and loved ones. Hmm. So if we can shift that focus from food and celebrating with foods and drinks to celebrating with people, our life will be that much richer. And the example I always use is a wedding. Think about a wedding where you've been married or someone else. You don't remember what was served. I mean, I can't tell you what was served at my wedding. I think there was fish or something. But I can tell you how I felt. And I can tell you what my mother said at the toast and those sort of things. But the food was irrelevant. So if you leave this world, like what's really going to matter? It's not going to matter if you had a cupcake. It's going to matter the people in your life. Oh, I love that. Couldn't be better well said. I'm glad I asked you that question, <laughs> even though you've given us a lot. Oh, good. I'm glad. Good job. Good job. Good job on for you. <laughs> well, how do we stay connected to you and how do we support you? Well, I am at erinwathenwellness.com and same handle on Instagram and Facebook and all those other places. Wonderful. Okay. Last question for you. So we are Rise Up For You. What comes to mind when you hear those words, rise up for you? For me, it seems to really just the part of my brain that I think of is just confidence and being the best version of yourself you can be and it not being so much about appearances, but just internal internal knowing who you are and standing up for yourself and knowing that you're coming from an authentic place. Wow. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Erin, for your time and your expertise and your wisdom and insight. I know it's taken a lot of years to get here and a lot of experience (laughs) and it's very, um, yeah, it's great for us to know that you're out there And I can't wait for our audience to get connected with you. So thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good evening. Bye. Thank you for joining us today on the Rise Up For You podcast series. We're here to serve you and inspire you to become your best self so that you can live a life that you are proud of. If you haven't already, head over to our website, riseupforyou.com, and explore through all that we have to offer. Don't forget to subscribe while you're there for exclusive materials sent to you weekly, and also subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and any other major podcast channel. Join us for our next episode, but until we meet again, rise up for you, be better today than yesterday, and prepare for a greater you tomorrow. Tomorrow.